0: And welcome to another edition of the Beervana Podcast, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Another beautiful day in glorious Portland, Oregon.
1: Yeah, maybe a little too beautiful. It's supposed to be hot this week. It's going to get hot. Yeah. Sweltering <laughs> in Portland. We're not built uh, <laughs> for it
0: For right? Portlanders, hot means anything above like 82 degrees. That's so. right. But no, it's going to get triple digits. Anyway, so uh, with me again is Jeff Allworth author of The Beer Bible, forthcoming from Workman Publishing, due in August 2015. Get your copies now. That's right. You may you can pre-order those at your
1: finest online booksellers.
0: As I have already done. Excellent.
1: You're welcome. Uh, you're, I, I, I expect I, I my bri- kickbacks. I bri- appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and Cider Made Simple from Chronicle, which will also be out this fall, correct?
1: That's right. Also available for pre-order online. Uh, and with me is Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, uh, as well as a research fellow, at the Center for Applied uh, Microeconomic Research at the Sao Paulo School for Economics, known locally as C-Micro, uh, you can find him blogging at uh, Bureonomics. And you blog at
0: Burevana, of course. That's, that's right. So today we are going to tackle the topic of session IPAs. This is an emerging style on the beer scene, maybe even sort of exploding onto the beer scene. Session IPAs are popping up everywhere. If you haven't tried one of these beers, they're usually less than 5% at ABV, and of course they're pretty hoppy. Uh, they're tricky to make, however. Trying to infuse a lot of hoppiness into a small beer is hard to do, so today we'll talk a little bit about what these are and how they're made, and then we'll consider the whole question of session beers. Uh, For decades, Americans have been fascinated with strong beers and anything less than 5% was commercial death. So have session ales finally come of age? That's what we'll discuss today. It's a recording. This is very, very current. This is our first episode,
1: I think, that we've done something uh, like exciting and sexy and possibly controversial. So I'm excited for the show today.
0: Yes. Let us dive into the controversy. So why don't we start uh, with you telling us uh, what... Session, uh, what Session IPAs are and um, how they're being received. All right. Well, the Session IPA category is um,
1: – um, there's actually a, a question of whether it exists uh, as, a, as a thing. Are these beers different? Are they a new style? Or are they just renamed uh, pales? Are
0: they just kind of a marketing gimmick? So we're going to look into that a little bit. Yeah, I'll admit that was my first take, which is, well, isn't this just a hoppy pale? And I think I'm not alone. That's right. Didn't we get a question about that? Uh, Yeah, Jim Fick asks, when does a hoppy pale ale become a session IPA? Is is the distinction there or just marketing? That's right. Well, let's break
1: down what the difference between a pale ale and an IPA is, because the the distinction there, I think, leads us to uh, what a session IPA might be. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, with a pale ale you've got a, a, a fairly nice body uh generally if we look at go, going all the way back to Sierra Nevada's uh, pale a lot of caramel in it and fairly delicate uh hopping usually something in a cascade that you know a kind of a heritage american heritage thing not not super funky mm-hmm. so when you step up to ipas they are stronger and they are hoppier but they have different character too they have much more vivid character in the hops, so mm-hmm. they're, they're more bitter, which people tend to focus on, but they also have a lot more uh, flavor and aroma from those hops, and, and that's really the play pen for brewers to get into the exotic hops that uh, are really animating everything in craft brewing right now, which you don't see so much in uh, pale ales. You know, pale ales, like a, our version of a, like a Pilsner, it's an easy drinking, kind of straightforward, predictable beer. So then what happens if we talk about these session IPAs? Like, what, is that just moving back to the, the same old pale, or is it something entirely different? And uh, I think we can make a pretty good case that it is something entirely different based on how the brewers are making these. So they're not making them like uh, pale ales at all. Um,
0: yeah, and that's, that's also, I was looking at this other question we got from uh, Denny Kahn, uh, who you note is the well-known homebrewer who has a new book out this year, by the way.
1: That's right, Experimental Homebrewing.
0: Experimental Homebrewing. I see a copy over there on your little bench of books to read.
1: Oh, check Beerman out for the forthcoming review.
0: Anyway, his question, I'll paraphrase the first part. Basically, why why are we using the IPA moniker at all? Uh, Why not just call them Hoppy American Pale Ales? Why not a new or different name for them rather than to confuse an already established description? Yeah, when I
1: got these... Uh, when I first started seeing these, I thought it was a marketing gimmick. I was with everybody else. I thought it was, you know, kind of crap. Um, but then the Harpoon Brewery in Boston sent me a version uh, of a beer that they've released uh, now, at their own session IPA. They gave me kind of a beta version. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting. I had not tasted anything like that before, uh, and it was intriguing. So I gave the brewer a call to find out what he was doing. And it turns out that the flavors that he was getting out of that came from some pretty interesting brewing techniques. Um, and they bu- There's kind of two components, and he talks about both of those. We'll run a couple of clips here in a moment. Um, but it involves the way you work with the mash, and it involves the way you work with hops. Both of those things are uh, used differently than they are in other beers. So why don't we listen to uh, Steve uh, Theoritis first talk about the way he mashes his uh, session IPA for Harpoon.
2: For the first problem, which is keeping enough body to kind of support, uh, give the beer a little bit of backbone, um, we really kind of push the upper limit on our mash temperature. Okay. And doing so helps keep uh, enough unfermentable sugar in the, in the beer itself that there's a, just enough backbone to kind of support the hop profile.
1: Yeah, what temperature do you um, using
2: like that? Yeah, we're pretty high. Like, um Around 160, 161. Wow. Yeah So really awfully, awfully close to um, cooking away some of those essential enzymes, but we're cheating on the edge, and, <laughs> and now we get something that attenuates to uh, 65%, which is remarkably low for such a low ABV beer.
0: So that's very interesting. How much of that is sort of a typical IPA experience, and how much is just a new technique, especially for this particular challenge?
1: I think it's completely new. Uh, th- there are probably some beers out there that use some weird mashes. I know that uh, beer to guards have a, a rest that's very high. But this is a single rest. Actually, let's let's stop in case people were not really familiar with some of the technical stuff he was talking about. Yeah. Um, let me just mention that. So when you mash a a, a beer, um, what you're trying to do is pull the sugars out of the mash out of the grains in a way that the yeast can digest them, mm. and there's a period. It's called conversion during the mash when enzymatic activity uh, comes uh, becomes active and it starts breaking down the starches and proteins into into smaller bits that are more digestible for the uh, yeast. And that band of of uh, that window is between about 144 degrees and 100. 160 is uh, it's kind of high. Usually people will not say 160. Usually they'll say about 156, 157. Right. So right. That, that's even pushing it. And the reason you would choose one of those temperatures over another is because uh, the sugars that you're pulling out will either be really digestible, which will mean that the yeast will e- eat them up and there won't be any uh, body or sweetness left over. That's right. Or if you go to the higher level, you're starting to get more and more uh, undigestible Sugars, which taste sweet on the palate and they add body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what he's talking about here is he was trying because he's got this really low-alcohol beer. He's trying to figure out a way with not very much hops or not. I'm sorry, not very much malt to try to give it a little bit of body, right? Uh, to balance that out because he's not working with a lot of malt. So he's got to figure out some way to get that that body in there. And the way he does it is to use this extremely high mashing temperature, which, as as you heard him say, um, you know, was it's beyond the realm of what brewers rarely rarely go usually go to, so he was kind of uh freaked out um in a later part of that he said he he when he put it on the big batch that his teeth were chattering a little bit <laughs> as he, was, uh, as he was doing that so that's so that's one thing that they do is you ferment these things high because you 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 don't you're not working with very much malt and you want that malt to stay in the beer and yeah. add a little bit of body and a little bit of sweetness
0: yeah, so that's one side of it, sort of creating the platform upon which you can put. A fair amount of hops even though you don't have uh, a big malt base. And I remember the first time that I actually encountered a Session IPA, uh, I had the same skeptical take, isn't this just a hoppy, a hoppy pale? But I was excited because I've become more and more interested in Session beers, uh, I suppose partly as I get older and I suppose partly as the novelty of the big burly IPA has worn off. But I also think it's a moment in time where brewers have become incredibly adept at extracting all of this aroma and flavor out of hops without creating these bracingly bitter beers and also we've got these new varietals of of hops that are very aromatic and very flavorful right so even in the big burly ipas though they're even more flavorful juicy hop saturated flavors so to be able to sort of translate that into a smaller beer was pretty exciting and the first beer that I saw actually was the local beer, uh, Breaksides uh, Session IPA, and I thought it was really wonderful, actually.
1: Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about how um, how they do that. Let's go back to a clip from Steve, because what you're talking about, that saturated hot flavor, is a characteristic of the IPA. It's not actually such a strong characteristic of the, the pale ale. Uh, so using that technique on these smaller uh, beers is another way. It illustrates, in my view, that they're not pale ales. Um, and Steve uses, a, again, another a version of, of hopping in here that's sort of extreme and sort of unusual. It's becoming more common, but it's really an extreme practice, um, and we'll let him explain it, and we'll come back and, and talk and discuss a little bit what he's talking about.
2: Yeah, the other thing that we did was, um, like you said, to try and keep a lot of those flavor components of the hop offer, but um, to reduce a lot of the residual bitterness, um, it's really tough to do, the host that people are after today, the New Age, you know, the Citrus, the Eldorados, Galaxies, Mosaics, whatever you may have, yeah. um, are all super, super high in alpha. It's really difficult to kind of use something that's got those that tropical fruit character that people are looking for mm-hmm. without the bitterness that goes along with it. And to do so, what we did is we backed off of early editions. Um, we found that there's significantly more utilization in later editions than has been traditionally thought.
1: Oh, interesting! Uh, so
2: we, we we sort of foregone, or, or we skipped over, I should say, um, the traditional uh, early edition altogether. Really? So what we, well, we don't introduce hops into this boil until considerably later. Yeah. Okay, so that's fascinating. Yeah, so again, we should probably just
1: uh, explain a little bit what he was talking about yeah. since there was, a lot, and again, some more technical stuff there. So when you put hops in a beer, in a, uh, th- now we're past the, the, the mashing stage. This is when you've got uh, the liquid that you're boiling mm-hmm. uh, in the kettle. You add hops, and you can add hops at any point during that period uh, of the boil. And er- the earlier you do it, the more uh, bitterness you pull out of the hops through and a, a typical
0: process. typical lasts about an hour?
1: Yeah, around an hour. Uh, sometimes uh, anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes, depending. Okay. Um, and that process is called isomerization, which converts the alpha acids uh, during the boil, which allows them to infuse the beer with bitterness. And it's just a function of how long it's exposed to the heat. So the later you add the hops, the less of that bitterness gets pulled out and the more you get the evanescent flavors and aromas that come from the, the delicate uh, essential oils and stuff like that. Right. And
0: those essential oils tend to get broken down and evaporated if you put them in too early, correct? Right.
1: So what he did is uh, really, it's, it's a thing that uh, I think it actually sort of stemmed from home brewers, um, a process that... They're now calling uh hop bursting mm-hmm. which is to completely avoid that first edition of bitter hops mm. uh, which is I, I think that's unprecedented as f- so far as i know i've never seen any uh evidence that in the history of brewing people once they started using hops and didn't put hops in at the start um, this is a really novel thing it's very american and it's it's kind of a, a cool function of of the way we brew t- specifically to get all these flavors and aromas that characterize the hoppy style of beer we like. The more you add late hops, the more you get that stuff. And so he just decided to blow off adding them and the start at all, which is fascinating. So
0: and then, so it's all late additions, which begs the question, by the way, why even bother starting the boil? I mean, does he actually start the boil and have it boiling for twenty minutes before he adds hops? Is that the idea? Boy,
1: that's a really great question. I have no idea why. We, yeah, that's interesting. All I mean, right,
0: so we'll we'll jot that down for the next time we talk to one of these guys. Yeah, there's.
1: It's a, it's a really good point. I never <laughs> thought of that. <laughs> Why not just do a 20-minute boil? Well, I'm an, econ- I'm an economist. Right? <laughs> that just seems
0: really inefficient. <laughs> like, Let's boil liquid for half an hour for no reason at all. <clears throat> yeah, Maybe there s- is a reason. I'm just not good enough brewer to know.
1: Well, you would caramelize the malt a little bit, but um, yeah. they're not looking for any of that in these beers. So I bet it's just through to tradition. We'll have to throw that out there. If you're a brewer who's listening to this and you have an opinion, let us know. Why not just do a
0: 20-minute boil if you're hot bursting? Uh so let's, let's, um, let me, let me take a break. Uh, let's break our conversation here so we can also sort of, uh, start tasting the beer yeah. um, as we go along. Uh, I went down to a local beer store, big shout out to beer mongers uh, in Portland, Oregon. Um, I went down there and asked for session IPAs and to give you a sense of how, uh, popular they're becoming. He immediately pointed out uh, five or six different beers. Um, and, in front of us, we actually have four of those beers. The first beer we have is a local beer that gets that gets distributed pretty far and wide. It's uh, Widmer Brothers Brewing, and it's their Replay IPA, uh, which is um, actually something they're pushing pretty heavily now. It's one of their um, lines that you can find in six packs in local stores. Crack that sucker! So let's crack it. Get it close to the. We actually have two bottles this time and two cans, so you're gonna get different audio experience. Here we go
1: oh that sounds wonderful
0: <laughs> okay
1: i tell you when it's 100 degrees out a 4.5 percent session ipa looks pretty good
0: yeah so the first thing i'm going to point out and something that we've already mentioned in terms of how the process of brewing which is it's a pale beer but it's not the kind of caramel color you typically associate with a pale ale right it is definitely more of a blonde straw color that uh, kind of shouts IPA to me I'll let you smell that as well and typical to a uh, a regular IPA you're getting very strong hop note on, on the nose
1: right before we uh, fired up the, the podcast we had lunch and we uh, had a Crux uh, session IPA over lunch and uh, it had an amazing bouquet of aroma which we're now starting to see is pretty typical because this replay has really rich aroma also.
0: Yeah, one question that I'll just leave dangling out there because it's unanswerable, but I wonder how much the hmm. art of the art and the availability of new hops, but the art of extracting all these flavors from the hops has basically enabled session IPAs to become a thing. In other words, I wonder if you could have really made a credible session IPA of this quality 10 years ago.
1: That's a really good point. I think that's That's a really interesting observation. Probably not. There's what we're seeing in these, uh, these IPAs, uh, these session IPAs, is use mainly of uh, some of the more modern hop varieties. And I think we, I sent an email out to Ben Dobler, who made this uh, Widmer uh, Replay IPA, and also to Ben Edmonds, who makes Breakside's uh, session IPA called Lunch Break, Mm -hmm. Um, and he said something about that. Do you have that quote in front of you, Pat?
0: Yeah. Uh, Ben Dalbo's quote is actually interesting because we can talk about the economics of this pretty soon, but what he said is, quote, for us, these beers are about hops and hop flavor without lingering bitterness. We did about seven to eight trials before nailing the profile. The tweaks were fairly minimal from batch to batch and more revolved around whirlpool, whirlpool additions, excuse me, fermenter additions and dry hop additions. The main difference between the two is the body of the beer. A pail should have a little more body to help it balance out the hops whereas session IPA should have more hop presences.
1: Yeah, this is uh, he really I think he really nailed it in this one. I I'm 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 really enjoying this beer. I don't know what you're thinking of it, but uh it's it's uh the hops are incredibly fragrant and rich, but they're very soft. So it's a uh, it's really sessionable. Absolutely. It has, the name implies it should be. Um, the, the crux that we tried earlier was a little bit rugged. It had uh, some centennials in it. I think those were giving it a little bit of a, an astringency and a pininess that was maybe making it not quite as Moorish as this one is. So this one is very, very gentle, and I could drink this all day.
0: Yeah, we talked about the the term Moorish uh, when we tied our British Invasion podcast. Uh, and I think that's exactly right. I think that the interesting thing about these... Um, these session ipas is is the the real session ability is the fact that they can be sort of hop infused and yet you don't start feeling bloated after half a glass that you really you really feel like you could keep drinking these because it's got a really nice i agree that the the widmer is a great example it's got a it's got a, a a body that sustains the hops but doesn't really get in the way it really features the hops in a way that a pale ale doesn't a pale ale i would say is um, I hesitate to use the word balance because I don't want to suggest that I Session IPAs are out of balance, but they really have the, a malt characteristic that goes along with the hop characteristic, and the two of those together, in the interplay is what characterizes it. Yeah, this Widmer, for,
1: for those of you who are familiar with Widmer, you're you probably used to a pretty typical uh, hop profile. They're one of the breweries who've, who've been pretty aggressive about branding, if you can talk mm-hmm. about it that way, branding, the, their flavor profile of their hops. They have a proprietary blend that they bitter with called Alchemy, and then they use a, a a pretty narrow band of different hops in their beers. This one actually though is, um, does uh, if, if you just serve this to me blind, I don't know that I would have called it a Widmer. I wouldn't have picked it out. It does not it doesn't have that really distinctive house character. I notice. Hmm. Interesting. It,
0: yeah. I, 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 uh, are, I yeah. feel like, I don't know if we know the hops that are in here. Do we, I don't know. I, we, but, uh, I have to fire the intern. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Mm. Uh, but the you know definitely what I've noticed now I've had maybe what four session IPAs and I'm about to have three more so we'll we'll see but what I've noticed is that you know the 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 featuring as you would expect of these new very flavorful very aromatic hops so things like Citra and Mosaic and uh, Simcoe and Eldorado Eldorado mm-hmm. hops like that which really sort of pop um, and as a home brewer by the way you know just trying to create one of the one of the um, hop infused uh, sort of modern ipas what i what i've learned is that it's it's all about the super late hop additions it's just a total hop fiesta at the very end and that's how you really get that infused flavor i would always get very frustrated because dry hopping for me is too ephemeral right after after i've had it in the bottle for uh, a week or two I, i just didn't taste it anymore and i got very frustrated by that so what i've learned is just putting putting absolute buttload of hops in the hot back uh, is a way to keep that hop-infused flavor. I so agree. Let's, let's crack the next one, and then let's switch to economics a little bit as well at the same time. So what's the next one we got here?
1: So this one is uh, Evil Twin, which is uh, for those of you who follow craft brewing very closely, you know that um, there's a famous Danish gypsy brewer, uh, Michael Unpronounceable, and he makes the, the <laughs> brand uh, McKellar. And he has a brother uh, who apparently they have uh, kind of rivalry uh, he and ha- he started a brewery uh, here in America called Evil Twin, and so we have in front of us an Evil Twin Citrus Sunshine Slacker session IPA. We'll give that a shot. Nice. This is a, a can one, so listen. this is what a can
0: sounds like on, on a pod and this is, uh, this is also chosen because this is an east Coast based brewery, so hopefully our our legion of fans from the East Coast can uh, can find some of these beers as well. We tried actually. We we try when when possible to, to to get away from the little beer bubble that is Portland, Oregon, and taste things far and wide. Right,
1: and which is why we're not going to be trying Breaksides here. But if you're in Portland, uh, Patrick and I are both big fans of uh, Breaksides. Yeah,
0: Breaksides. I'm taking that bottle home with me, by the way, Jeff. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I bought one of those today as well. This is also a very similar color to the winner yeah. we just had.
1: Boy, it's like almost identical. Yeah. So the, it's l- the like level of claviness. Yeah, if, if we, is put, really similar if we
0: put these two beers side by side, I don't know that we would be able to tell them apart. Or we would have assumed they're the same yeah. The same beer 'cause they're almost exactly the same color, a golden straw color, nice head. Yeah, these wow. are <laughs> a wonderful hopperano on the nose. And by the way, we should mention, I think we looked at mm-hmm. all of these. These are almost all exactly or very close to 4.5%.
1: That's, I was just about to ADD. mention that, which is, you know, for, for American beer, uh, that's that's just barely above what a light beer is. I think light beer goes about 4.2. Um, you know, Budweiser is 5%. So f- we're talking pretty low alcohol beers for Americans. This is so, so I'm interested to see how well these take off because, you know, that's – it's ha- it's – a half of a double IPA. Yeah. And, uh...
0: and so this is an interesting thing, and this is something that Ben Ennis talked about. So as an economist, I would say, hey, this is a great – if you can get these things popular and you're a brewer, you're riding the gravy train here because you know these are small beers. There's not a lot of ingredients, right? You can sell a bunch of this stuff hopefully because they're going to – it's a sessionable beer. Uh but he anticipated
1: your cynical approach.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh I, I would just say that it's a it's the skeptical economist, which is part of being the scholar. <laughs>
1: uh, I, I'm sure you would say that. Uh yeah. This, it, you have, might have a little bit of cynicism in you though.
0: Yeah, so um uh this is what this is what Ben Edmonds from Breakside Brewing in in, in uh, Portland or Portland slash Milwaukee, Oregon, uh said. Finally Uh, Quote, finally, dry hopping. We dry hop lunch break at the same level as our IPA, and that makes up over 50% of the total hop volume in both beers. So from a cost standpoint, there's almost no difference between our IPA and our session IPA, since hops are, by far, our most costly raw material.
1: Yeah, it makes sense, because uh, the thing, uh, if you don't brew, that you, you may not realize is, in order to get these very vivid flavors, they're tossing in just... Inconceivable amounts of beer uh, hops compared to like what a Budweiser would do, yeah.
0: um, which is fascinating because, as Bales. we talked about before, in England, you can go to a pub and they'll have pricing based on based on ABV right, which makes sense when it's all sort of a fairly typical recipe, sort of relatively from modern Northwest perspective, like use of hops so, so it's really the malts, I suppose, that are, are driving the cost but but in this, no, it's all hops and wow. Um this is really good. This is really good, isn't it?
1: <laughs> this is, um, I don't know if they only use citra, but it is a citra bomb. And boy, oh boy, is it really, I, I, s- sometimes citra doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it gets a little, sometimes it gets a little bit muddy, but this is insane. This is, it's really kind of orangey.
0: Yep. I would say it's a little bit more on the, the bitter end. It's similar to the crux that we tried before we, we started potting. Uh, it has a slightly more bitter bite on the tongue
1: that 's so interesting i 'm not it doesn't not to to my palate it 's not uh it does not have that bitter quality uh it it feels really f- uh actually pretty soft but I know that especially with more modern hops um people 's palates read them a little bit differently you yeah. know like when we brewed a, a Sriracha ace beer. Which I thought was beautifully lemony. You got all kinds of dill. Not kind of dill, yeah. Common. And I just read
0: an article dill. about how uh, this has nothing to do with brewing, but it has to do with palates. Is that some people uh, taste cilantro and and taste soap. Uh, yeah. So I think that it's interesting how things react with palates. For me, it's not. When I'm drinking it, it's soft. It's the aftertaste is slightly. There's a slightly bitter residue on my tongue from hmm. from this one. But it is it is really wonderful. And again, it's just amazing that this is a four and a half percent percent beer.
1: Yeah. Um, I think one thing that people assume or have assumed is that ABV is a rough proxy for flavor. So the lower the uh, the lower the strength, the lower the flavor. Yeah, yeah. And this is yeah. this whole uh, session IPA trend, which I'm really excited about for this reason, is a way of trying to break that that mental habit of thinking, oh, it's only four and a half percent, it's going to be a really bland, boring beer. Um, they're, they're these brewers are really trying to make these things as flavorful and exciting. To the palate as interesting to the palate as uh, a regular i p a yeah
0: it would be interesting to to go back to to go back in time to England if we had these beers uh, and see what they think about sort of these lighter beers in terms of a b b but but incredibly flavorful beers so while we crack this next beer,
1: let me ask you a question uh about the market and uh, shift a little bit to economics yeah uh the So these things are called IPAs and we've already learned that that irritates some people because for for many good uh, and not even entirely pedantic reasons, calling a beer that's 4.5% an IPA is problematic. So to say that it's an IPA rubs some feathers the wrong way and and it kind of makes some sense, but ruffles some feathers. I rubbed
0: my metaphor Ruffles. the wrong way. Yeah, you, you ruffle feathers and, I don't know, rub a dog or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't get to rub a dog. You pet it up. Yeah, <laughs> what was, do you rub? I don't, that's not a, good. That's, <laughs> that's right. Let's leave that one alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, yeah, actually, it's interesting. I think, you know, I have I, I have this uh, thing about beer that I've talked about a lot of times in the economics. And, and, and before I get into that, let me just uh, introduce this beer that I'm about to about – to, um, open now. So this is Laganidis's, uh session IPA. Uh, they actually call it a fractional IPA. In fact, the guy at Beermonger said, well, they don't call it a session IPA, but it's basically a session IPA. I think they call it uh, um, fractional IPA. So, uh, And underneath, and, and this is where I'm showing my age because it's in tiny little type, but it says under fractional IPA, it says, is that ridiculous or what? <laughs> <laughs> so I think they're playing on the idea that this might 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 be an IPA or might be not so right. an IPA, so we can talk about that. So what I think is that,
1: yeah. Well, let me just let me point okay. it to put it to you really pointedly, so the uh, we get out there. You put brewers are constantly slapping the word IPA on on all kinds of different beers. Yeah, it's a black IPA, it's a white IPA, it's a Belgian IPA, it's a session IPA, it's all mm-hmm. these different IPAs. Yep. And for the same reasons that people are irritated about calling a beer a session IPA. They're also irritated about uh, white IPAs, and they're really irritated about black IPAs. Black pale ales irritates them. Um, but brewers must know what they're doing. There must be a reason why they're trying to commu- – They're trying to commu- by putting IPA on the label, a brewer is trying to communicate something. So what, what's, what's going on there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is actually one of the challenges of, of brewing – uh, and as I was about to say, it's what I've talked about a number of times that since beer is what we call an experience good, meaning you really don't know how you're going to like it until you actually try it. You have to open the bottle or you have to get the glass and, and taste it before, you know, unlike other goods where you can look at it and a piece of art, you can look and say, okay, I don't know if I like that or not, or a piece of clothing, you can go and feel it before you buy it. So in this sense, you just don't know until you buy it. So brewers have to try to communicate some way what the beer is like so that consumers know and I'm you know as an economist I'm I'm very easy with my uh, uh, my nomenclature because for me it's all just about communication and I think what's happened is the craft beer revolution in the United States taught consumers about hops consumers all of a sudden realized that hey I really like hops and hops are really interesting and IPAs became synonymous with really hoppy or super hop flavor and so IPA is just a way to communicate. You're looking for hop flavor. This is a beer that has it. And so the the sort of conditional session IPA to me makes actually a lot of sense. I, I I'll, I'll defend it definitely because um, the IPA is telling me it's going to be a hop forward beer. It's going to feature hops. I can probably because you know we're now in 2015. I can expect this sort of really saturated hop aroma and flavor, and uh, in a beer that's not super heavy in a beer that I can drink more than a glass. So right. so for me, I think the economics are clear that, that you're just trying to communicate. This is the easiest and most direct way to communicate to consumers what to expect from the beer. And what's the point of having names if, if not that? Try that while
1: I uh, respond to what you just said. Yeah, so the is let me log-in. just give
0: let me give a, visu- a a visual clue. It's also very light, even a bit lighter yeah. than the first two. Uh we kind have of like
1: a almost Pilsner light.
0: Yeah, almost exactly. It, it it strikes it strikes you as a Pilsner. It's very light. It's quite uh blonde. Uh not quite as effervescent, perhaps, as a as a Pilsner, but mm, this one's more piney, huh?
1: It is uh, a distinctive beer.
0: Mm. Yeah, so this is this is quite different. Actually. It is quite different. I mean that tastes
1: like lemon cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you would know anything about Not it. Not that I would know anything. I just have smelled it, you know, on the street. Mm-hmm. It has some quality that reminds me of that. Yes. Um, yeah, but to go back to what you were saying earlier while we continue right. to drink this beer, uh, it, I think uh, there's a there's a way in which um, beer geeks are sometimes too clever by half or too knowledgeable by half, really. Um, Americans don't really know that that much about the history of beer. They don't mm-hmm. understand why an IPA is, um, I think most of them don't understand why the word India is in there. They don't understand a lot of these things. They just know that from a sensory perspective, if they see the word IPA, they kind of have an idea of what to expect. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to tell people this is going to be have those qualities you've already developed, or you've already liked, then uh, what you do is you use the, the shorthand of IPA. So I'm, I'm with you. I think it totally makes sense. And I understand why beer geeks would be irritated to have to, you know, Put up with all these uh, b- the bending of the of the rule, and it it makes it seem like the the uh, names don't have any meaning anymore. But I think actually it's pretty clear. In this case, I think the average consumer understands what they're talking about, and from them, it does make sense. And so the the words do have meaning, and it it's pretty clear meaning.
0: Yeah, I and mean, I think it's fine. I mean, it's just part of the culture, right? Every every subculture you have has its own language and own code, and you're very protective of that because that's what defines you know. The insider from the outsider and so when when those terms become popularized or bastardized in your view then and you then you get irritated so i under i definitely understand where where people are coming from but i think to invent a new term to answer uh the denny Kahn's question i think would just lead to more confusion in the marketplace and you know in the end this is this is a a, a market brought a, a product in a market that uh that needs to be sold and one that people don't understand necessarily right off the bat or don't, don't know what it's like until they actually buy it. So you need to try to be able to communicate as best you can on, on the can. or
1: Yeah, and for what it's worth, well, if you served a beer like one of these beers in uh, uh, another country where craft beer is starting to take off, like Czech Republic or Italy or mm-hmm. um, Belgium, uh, Scandinavia, they would say, oh, that's an American IPA and that what that would mean is there's this this collection of flavors and aromas and brewing style that's very distinctive very particular to the United States and this totally captures that this is like 100% is possibly the most american expression of brewing i've ever seen these these little beers that we're drinking yeah um and i think in other countries they would immediately recognize that and say oh i i know what that is just the same way that the, the american consumer does
0: yeah yeah and i think that's that's In a way, uh, not to be too highfalutin about it, but this is sort of the, to to me, it's almost an expression of uh, the particular regional art of brewing in America. You know, everyone has their own particular uh, things that they do well and are good at. And what American brewers have become incredibly good at is utilization of these very aromatic hops, I think. Yeah. I think that's what really distinguishes American brewers from from Their counterparts overseas, so yeah, what do you got there? Uh, last one is the Firestone Walker Easy Jack IPA. So, this is another one that travels, I think, pretty far. Lagunitas, I would imagine, travels pretty far too. So, I think mm, all four beers uh, that we're tasting today, there's a pretty good chance you'll be able to find one, if not more than one, of them uh, locally. And you should definitely let me open this. This is also a can, although I imagine it's both in can and bottle. I that was, uh,
1: we could use that. And- Audio that was perfect sounding. Well, oh, it's just our uh, our sound design is amazing. <laughs> hopefully
0: that hopefully the, <laughs> the microphone picked that up. I was really grooving on the uh Ooh, on the uh, bubbles bursting there.
1: So I think Firestones is one of the first uh session IPAs out there. Uh if I recall
0: correctly. Okay, so again, once once again, I mean, all four beers are pretty similar. They are very light colored. This one is incredibly clear. Yeah, this one is I don't know if it's gotta just be a, filtered. a product of filtering or just a lot of that is a conditioning. Bright bright beer. But it is a this one is very bright. It's quite uh pale again. It's it's sort of closer to Pilsner, though, not quite as uh light as the uh Lagunitas. Um and uh quite effervescent actually, probably the most effervescent of the of the four. Check that out. The the aroma is slightly more Logonidas, I suppose, than than uh the woodmer, Which might be indicative of where they're from, sort of California versus yeah. Pacific Northwest.
1: I think you're right. It's very by by more like
0: uh the Logonidas are you saying the cannabis note? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I would call more the the pine note because I don't know. Really, what?
1: Hmm. It's it's actually really really similar to the Lagunitas. The, yeah. They have uh, on the nose. It is. I haven't tasted it yet. Let me give let me give that a taste. It is not quite as assertive as the Lagunitas, which I guess fans of both those breweries would expect.
0: Ooh. Yeah, it's much subtler but than the Lagunitas. Much more subtle. Yeah. This one definitely has. The first impression is Moorish. Mm. It's the first sip I take, I want to take another. <laughs> but it's a similar flavor, flavor profile. Yeah. Sort of the lemon pine, or would you say the lemon cannabis uh, flavor profile is quite different. And that's actually not uncommon in the world of regular IPAs as well. Sort of California tends to be a little bit more into the bitter sort of. Yeah, boy, can.
1: Well, there's a there's a term of art in uh, uh, beer uh, adjectives called uh, people when they say dank, they're referring to this quality we're talking to this piney cannabis Mm -hmm. quality, and I think uh, California IPAs tend to be more dank, and ours tend to be more fruity, yes, more focused on citrus and other. uh, Yeah, and that's
0: definitely true of the Winmer Brothers Replay IPA, and that's also true of the Evil Twin. Uh, which is from the East Coast, right? Um, it's definitely a Citra. In fact, it's in the title. It's a Citra Sunshine Slacker, and so it's definitely a, features Citra hops, which are, which are, very fruity. And, very.
1: I, and we we're not gonna taste the break side here today, but it's um also in the citrusy fruity side of things. It's not a dank.
0: Yeah, drink. and I'll put in a plug for the break side as well. If you are lucky enough to come across it, it's uh, an exceptional. Uh, uh, Example of of this as well. In fact, I, I really there's not a beer here that I um, that I wouldn't
1: enjoy. Which one of these would you go for? Of these four that we just tried, which one at the grocery store? If you had these four in front of you, which one would you buy?
0: Interesting, interesting. Well, I'm an economist, so oh, uh, you look at the price. <laughs> so I'm not unmoved <laughs> by price, which is one of the themes that uh, we that I have harped on, and I'll return again. So, um, uh, in terms of uh, value for money, I would go for the Widmer.
1: Okay, what if you sent me to the grocery store to buy one of these, and you knew you wouldn't have to pay for it?
0: I would probably send you uh, to the Evil Twin because it's interesting and, and exotic here on the West Coast, mm-hmm. and also really good. Yeah. Um, but actually, I think the replay and the and the and the Evil Twin are quite similar. Um, so yeah, they're both they're both excellent. I I tend to like, as you know, the more citrus, the more fruity, uh, floral. Hops and less so the dank California sort of style. Um, although there was a time in which I was really into the dankness, but yeah, that has gone. That has now. I kind of really digging the new the new hop varietals that are really citrusy. Yeah, and I like I really like the the New Zealand styles as as well as you know. Yeah, I
1: think those and they would really lend themselves well to a beer like this. So, so it would be cool if somebody out there wants to brew a New Zealand style session IPA. That would be uh, something I'd like to see.
0: Something similar to the one that that I absolutely loved when I was over in England, which is the the Kipling from uh, Thornbridge Brewery. Right. It's a little heavier. It's not. It's not a really a session beer, but it's it it features the um, New Zealand hops, and it. it's wonderful. I think lots yeah. of grapefruit.
1: Also good hops. <laughs> I'm gonna throw uh, Widmer the Widmer Brothers a bone here too. I think I like the replay IPA the best. Um but I also quite liked that Lagunitas, so um I wouldn't kick it out of
0: my Yeah, own. no, I I, I I give these all a big thumbs up. I wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna uh to end the pod without uh saying a couple things. I wanna have a discussion first about uh the whole idea of sessionability yeah. and the economics of creating session beers. So, Here's one of the things that I always thought, which is if you go into a pub in, in, in Portland and you look at a table of people who have been sitting around for a while and you might see like one or two empty pint glasses uh, indicating that people who are there for a few hours might have one or two of these beers and it makes sense because they're drinking 7% alcohol beers. Right. And if you go to a pub in England, you know, people will sit there and have – you know, quite literally five, six, seven beers. So it seems to make sense as a brewer that you'd want to encourage people to keep drinking more and more. Uh, we've talked about sort of, maybe there's not such a big cost difference anyway. Still, if we're talking about margins, it might be a good idea to have people drink more. So do you think that sessionability is partly driven simply by the economics of it?
1: You know, the United States seems to be a little different in this regard than some of the European countries I visited, where session beers are are. Really favored, um, especially in uh, England and Germany. They like, you know, they like to drink a lot. In Germany, you can you can order beers by the half liter or liter. Um, the imperial pints that they serve you in England are giant. They're just huge glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, we e- even uh, even our regular beers, you know, even uh, Budweiser is five five two. So w- we've always liked our beers a little bit more strong. Mm-hmm. And as we as we 've gone along uh, with the craft beer, I mean it used to be that that uh, anything below five point five was considered a session beer here. I mean we just you know five point five to six point five was a standard beer, mm-hmm. and I think that 's kind of a cultural artifact um, and, and it 's interesting, I think you know you, you and I are getting into the the later part of our forties. Um, I think many people who started drinking craft beer when it came out who were young, like us, are, are getting a little bit older. So it, it is. I wonder if there's an aging phenomenon here, too. I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, mean, I
0: certainly find that personally as an anecdote that I'm less interested. Uh, that's a bad way to put it, but I'm less tolerant of drinking lots of heavy beer. Uh, it, it. I sort of feel, I feel full and bloated more quickly yeah. than I used to. And so I'm definitely looking uh, at the at the uh At the tap list, when I walk in, I start at the bottom where where the where the small beers are. in fact, I just did that last night and I found a go a nice goza and a and a pail um to have rather than uh, so they could have two beers basically through through a couple hours I was there rather than just have one big big i p a
1: yeah, you could easily have uh over the course of the session three or four of these four point five percent beers and that you know, not wreck yourself, it, it would be uh, American pints anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, if I were a publican, I would certainly be interested in uh stocking some more of these and seeing this thing going. And I wonder, just from an economics point of view, if you were a publican, so in America, we tend to price standard beers all the same, so mm-hmm. whether it's a pale ale or a, a you know, an IPA, now if it's specialty beer that costs the, the pub more, they're going to charge more and put in. It snifter or something. But do you think, would it be advisable for a a pub to stock one of these 4.5s and knock 50 cents a pint or a buck a pint off it and try to see if they could get people to sit in the the pub longer?
0: Well, from an economics perspective, there's certainly theory to back that up, which is we often try to uh, entice high-demand customers uh, to buy more through volume discounts, you see this what we call nonlinear pricing all the time. Mm-hmm. You can get uh, you know a small soda for two bucks and a medium soda for two fifty and a large soda for three, even though the large is two times as big as the small, for example. Uh-huh. Or you know you can buy one pair of socks for four dollars or three pairs for ten or something like that. So this type of nonlinear pricing happens all the time, and the reason is that if you can entice the higher demand people to buy more, through offering them a volume discount, you can often do better in terms of profits. So if you think about a customer who's interested in drinking three, four beers in an evening as a high volume customer, you can entice them perhaps to drink more uh, and in fact make higher profits through this that type of that type of pricing perhaps. And that's true even if the cost is the same. So even mm-hmm. if you have to pay the same amount for a session IPA as a regular IPA, if you can get those high volume customers to drink the Session IPA and and to drink more, then yeah, absolutely, it can be a it can be a profit-maximizing strategy. So it would be an interesting experiment. Maybe some publican will try it and, and, and let us know.
1: Yeah, I, I tell you, uh, I would be happy to buy one of these beers, especially um, for 50 cents off. I, that would be a, a big inducement for me, all things being equal. These are great beers. I would like a lower alcohol beer anyway, and I'm much more likely to drink a couple of these, to go into a pub and drink a couple of these, um, than I am to go into a pub and drink. You know, if I have, if you offer me a seven percent IPA, that's it. One beer and I'm out. So maybe it makes sense to sell me two beers for a buck, a buck cheaper.
0: Yeah. So I think uh, I think our. It sounds like we're we're on the same page of this. That uh, session IPAs are a thing. They're something distinct and unique. Uh, I have no problem using IPA as a way to signal signal that they're hop forward beers. I think that the sort of the classical use of IPA is is long. Uh, it's its usefulness has sort of expired as um, as simply signifying that one type of beer and now it's sort of become a moniker for, for hops.
1: Yeah, and I would say uh, if, if people ask you about it, you can say, look, they're made differently. Um, the brewers are using much higher mash temperatures to get unfermentables out th- for these slight bodies. Um, in some cases, they're not even using uh, bitter charges. It's all late addition. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are – are, they're, they're made very differently than pale ale. So they, they definitely – whether you like the name Session IPA or not, they're definitely something different than a pale ale. They're yeah. just objectively not the same beers. And I think
0: they're thoroughly modern and unique new beers. Right. In fact, and how am I going to hear him I'm finally going to hop in, hop in and, and, oh, yeah. and talk about this Ben Edmonds quote because I, I find it fascinating. Um, so this is Ben Edmonds, the brewer at Breakside, who says um, – who's been talking about Session IPAs and turns to hops. He says – Uh, we we favor late kettle additions and dry hops for sure. Some of those classic C hops, Centennial comes to mind, are so punchy as to require an elevated level of sweetness from something like a mid-range crystal malt. A lot of the newer hops have a softer overall flavor profile and they require less sweetness for balance, regardless of IBUs. That's why hops like Citra, Galaxy, Mosaic, and even Amarillo in, in a good harvest have the right qualities to shine in session IPAs
1: so there's your th- your theory earlier that uh these beers might not have been possible even ten years ago. Ben may back you up on that
0: yeah, so i think i I think these are great beers. I think you should search them out. I hope that they become a fixture in the uh On the store shelves, because they'll certainly become a fixture in my fridge. Yeah, I
1: think they will for me, too. I thought they were a gimmick until I started drinking them, and the proof is in the palate. They're definitely a different kind of beer.
0: Yeah, so before you slag them off and before you start complaining about the use of the term Session IPA, go out, search these out, try them, and see for yourself. Anyway, so I think we should wrap it up now. So thanks very much for listening to the podcast uh, how to stay in touch with us. Well, Jeff, of course, blogs at the Beervana blog and also at All About Beer. Uh, and he tweets at, at Beervana.
1: And Patrick can be found uh, at his blog at Beeronomics. Um, we could encourage him to blog a little bit more, but we'll leave that aside for Hey, now.
0: I did a blog post this morning, by the way. Oh, excellent. Yeah, well, so my, my, <laughs> my, quota, my quota for the quarter <laughs> is over. <laughs> uh, Patrick
1: also tweets at at Beeronomics, so you can look for him. Uh, on your Twitter feed that way. And uh, look for us on uh, Facebook. There's a, a Facebook page called Birvana the Blog, and that's where we talk about this podcast. And if you want to submit questions before our next podcast, um, we will be talking about it there. So look for us at all those places. And uh, meanwhile, I guess, I guess that's it for today.
0: All right. So uh, cheers, Jeff. Cheers. Saoji. Patrick, what do you got there? Uh, that's a good question.
1: You got a session IPA. I do too. I I I,
0: <laughs> I I intended to pick up the Evil Twin Brewing, but as we said, the four oh, no, are so I think, similar. I think I'm pretty sure I have the Evil Twin. I, yeah, I do too. <laughs> and I'm gonna go for no, Widmer. No matter what, I can't go wrong. All right. All cheers. Right.